Hey all, back from the spooky holiday and into our spooky reality. Or is any of this real? Well, at least the word real is more accurate these days than the word normal. I actually saw a chart, you know, one of those curved charts we're all getting used to seeing, that marked one spot on the y-axis as normal. Wow. Getting back on subject, though. Uh, what was the subject? Didn't I tell you? Let's do the time warp again. Today is the 27th of October, even though I won't be loading this episode until early November. Today, while I'm meditating on the document I need to produce for my day job boss on working from home, because that normal has become real, I breeze through my morning emails and find myself reading a longish informative piece about school attendance during the current real. I don't know how I pulled it off, but back in those high school days, I think it would have been my junior year, I worked in the attendance office in the mornings right before class began and during first hour. I'm really pushing neurons around trying to remember how and why I ended up doing this. I'm sure it was offered to me by someone in the administration, and that I took it up to add a bit of brown to my nose. It's not a common activity for a high school student, but there I was anyway, from just before first period began, through that same first period, sitting in the attendance window, attending students. My first job in the morning was to take student absence excuses, evaluate their validity, and fill out a return-to-class pass. This pass would include the student's name, the date, a general explanation ticked off, a list for their absence, a signature by the attendance officer, Mrs. Ungler, not her real name. Mrs. Ungler was always sitting at a desk right behind me, hunched over attendance lists, comparing numbers and dates and the like. I had proven myself trustworthy enough to have been offered the window job, so my evaluation of the excuses was trusted. Mrs. Ungler would usually glance at the name on the pass and scribble her signature. Sometimes, if she associated the name with a memory of a big number, that number only being absences, she would ask to see the excuse note. Otherwise, the note was stamped and stapled to the original copy of the return to class pass to be filed away, the carbon copy handed to the student to later hand to their teachers. All teachers took attendance at the beginning of each period. They would call roll and tick off each absence, making a diagonal line in the box next to the name in the proper date column. If the student arrived tardy, that line would become an X. Fifteen minutes into the period, the teacher would leave the card in a special slot on the outside of the classroom door. My second job of the morning was to stroll through the entire school collecting those cards. I don't remember a single time when the card was not in that slot. The attendance taking ran like clockwork. Those cards would be taken back to the attendance office, and I would do the first sort, separating the cards with absences and tardies from those with perfect attendance. The latter would be slipped into the teacher's mailbox, while the former would be left for Mrs. Ungler to record in her massive attendance record book. That is what she spent most of her time doing, looking at cards, finding names on lists and recording absences and tardies, summing up those data, and at the end of the day, making a final tally. This entire process was repeated each of the six periods of the school day. There were a number of regulations concerning attendance, obvious ones like having a valid excuse for having missed class, usually a signed note from a parent, sometimes but rarely a phone call from that same parent, a doctor's note. Without the excuse, you couldn't get the return to class pass. Without the return to class pass, the teacher would not allow you to attend. 
Unexcused absences were always reported to parents or guardians, first with a call from Mrs. Ungler, later a call from a vice principal, maybe even a home visit from the truancy officer. I myself had little problems with attendance. I liked school. I liked my classes, my classmates, and my teachers, and felt it important to learn the material being taught in any of those classes. I think I only played hooky once, and it wasn't a rebellious action, but rather because of a temporary high school emotional trauma. After that class, Advanced Placement English, I looked for the teacher and explained what had happened, and she spoke to Mrs. Ungler, and they marked me as tardy for that class, and everything was overlooked. While working the attendance window, a good number of people suddenly wanted to be my friend. I was already pretty popular and well-known in my own class of 444 students. I had become the class secretary treasurer the year before by making a really funny campaign speech, and I was later kind of a class clown and butt of jokes. I got good roles in the school plays and started a three-year upward climb on the dramatic interpretation of literature forensics league path. But what attracted a lot of people to me my junior year was my access to the return-to-class form. I only cheated on that form a couple of times, and only for people who I really wanted to like me because I liked them. These were okay kids who probably skipped a class or two for personal reasons that they didn't want to share with their parents. The scribbled note they passed to me, with a wink and a please, combined with the fact that they were not serial hooky players, made it easy for me to fill out the form, give Mrs. Ungler a quick look at the note, and get her signature. I had even identified moments when, according to just how close her nose was to the attendance list, she would sign without lifting her eyes from those lists. How many times have we seen this represented on a screen, be it a big wide screen or that little bluish screen in our living room? An authority figure standing in front of a large blackboard, reading a list of names, each name punctuated by a child saying, present, or here, or raising his, her hand, or standing. Roll call, like the Pledge of Allegiance, was standard procedure in my school days, though I can't remember which one came first. They were like the start button, either to the school day or later the class period. Why, even at university, I think that in many cases professors would keep some kind of attendance. I even took this practice into my own work as an ESL teacher. Even in smaller groups where I could look around the class and count the four heads that made up the entire class, I would call out each name and expect a present or a here in return, marking the results on my own attendance chart. In this case, it may have been the ritual, a shared experience across cultures. Kids went through this ritual in their native classes, and doing it again in English helped cement concepts of the familiar with the new. Consequently, I was a little baffled by the report I was reading about how, since schools have had to confront lockdowns or restrictions or safety measures or ventilations or disinfections or downright revolts, besides not being at all ready to represent a support system for alternative ways of educating kids, despite their insistence that the kids had to be educated through their system, they were unprepared for something as simple, as basic, as attendance. And the point is not the rigorous obligation of attending class and recording that attendance for future statistics or individual evaluation and consequences. I feel odd pointing out that the only way a person is going to learn is if that person attends to the learning situation. It doesn't matter if that situation is a traditional classroom with blackboard and the droning sound of a teacher repeating to be tested lists of information, or if it is the quiet correspondence school study of a textbook and doing worksheets at the kitchen table. 
If the learner is not attending, is not attending to the situation, the content, the teacher, whatever is involved in the learning situation, there is little chance the learner will learn anything. Gosh, we live in a world with gazillions of so-called smartphones, and it's obvious that those smartphones are a lot smarter than we are. While a massive part of the users of smartphones are usually on one social platform or another, hooked on one silly game or another, using one language learning app or another, it's kind of amazing to me that there has been no correct application of applying assistance to class. Some work has been done on creating platforms for the actual studying, but what about the accountability to attending on those platforms? How hard must it be to register potential students to the platform and then record, with consequences, their use of the platform? Since there are now numerous different distance models, of course there would have to be numerous ways of calling roll, recording it, and determining the consequences of either being there or not. Let me take just one example. A six-week course that involves attending six live Zoom-type lectures, watching one instructional video per day, four days a week, a total of 24 videos, five weekly written assignments, daily homework exercises, and at least one group project. How would we go about getting a roll call for that situation? Well, the six live lectures is pretty simple. There needs to be an automatic count of each student who signs into the live lecture and a similar count for those who watch the recorded lecture at a different time of day because they could not attend the live lecture. There are a total of six points for these six lectures. The individual video should earn one point for the first complete view from beginning to end by the student. Another point can be added if the same video is watched more than twice by that same student. So there is a minimum of 24 points and a maximum of 48 for the instructional video attendance. A point can be given for each of the five weekly written assignments recorded when the student submits that assignment to the platform. Points can be awarded for the daily exercises submitted, so five possible points for assignments and 30 points for exercises. Finally, group participants award fellow members from one to three points for their participation in the group. In a group of three students, any student can earn a maximum of six points, three points having been awarded by each of the other two members. Totaling then, we've got six lecture points plus 48 video points plus five assignment points plus 30 exercise points plus six group work points equals 95 total perfect attendance points in our fictional course. A participation attendance scale can be easily worked from this. 95 to 71 points, excellent attendance. 70 to 46 points, good attendance. 45 to 21 points, average attendance. 20 to zero points, insufficient attendance. In the overall evaluation of the participation of the student, though, we are trying to modify just what attendance means. And in this case, we are trying to identify if attendance actually means being there, as would be reflected in the live lecture points, or simply paying attention to the material, as in the case of the videos. Students are rewarded with extra points for looking at a video more than twice. Students are rewarded even more by doing all of the exercises than if they have done all of the written assignments. These points represent a programming of students to take responsibility for their own engagement in the distance learning situation. 
Since the teacher is not there as an authority figure, but rather as an informant, students will need to realize that if they are to learn the subject matter, they will need to attend to much more than simply showing up for a Zoom meeting. They will have to learn to schedule their time to not only attend that meeting, but to look at the content produced by the teacher, participate in the possible group activities, and most importantly, do the practical or theory exercises developed to help them habitualize the material being studied. It's no no longer enough to consider attendance the warm body in the place it is expected to be. So, the measurements on which those articles critical of attendance, control, and distance learning were based on are actually old normal, old reality. Little by little, students are ceasing to go to specific places physically to listen to teachers. Some cannot. Some choose not. To evaluate attendance on the idea of physically being at a computer screen is useful to identify those students who are unable to engage themselves for the variety of reasons already identified, a lack of interest, lack of engaging course structure, lack of internet connection, lack of a computer or tablet to work with, and so on. Especially the breaches in online availability are areas where no method of attendance will help. Those are outside of this discussion. By evaluating students on personal responsibility to the entirety of the distance learning, we are also giving them tools to evaluate the education being offered through the non-physical attendance situation. A student who performs poorly in this organic attendance rubric because they need social contact can be identified and perhaps a different type of learning situation can be offered. A student who thinks that university is mainly a social activity is not ready for learning. A student who focuses on learning, when learning is the activity, relegating the social aspect to other areas of life, will probably learn to attend to their learning when that is the need, and attend to their social life when a deadly virus is not hiding behind the mask of anyone they may meet. Separating social activity from education would be one area to work on. Adapting social media participation to learning activity may be one answer or solution to this. Providing the electronic facilities to students would immediately solve breach problems. Noting how many students avoid the Zoom lectures or don't do the homework will lead us to rework those aspects of the course being offered. Above all, though, we need to let students know that we expect them to attend to what we are offering in distance education. We expect them to earn those attendance points by really paying attention, attending to the information we are sharing with them. We cannot oblige our students to study what we have to offer. Old-fashioned ideas of forcing university students to study basic courses outside of their interest, all those Literature 101 courses that engineering students have to take to get their bachelor's degree, all those Statistics 101 classes that theater students have to take to get their bachelor's degree, required only only to keep departments earning money, will need to be discarded. Students should first be allowed to study that which interests them. If additional rounding out study is needed, it is the responsibility of the teacher to suggest such to the interested students. Poor attendance probably comes mainly from being forced to study something that does not interest you enough to catch your attention. Poor attendance may come from a poorly designed course. Poor attendance may come from a non-vocational teacher. Attendance, though, needs to cease being simply a headcount. It needs to become a more complex, holistic observance of the attention each individual student gives to the content, and a constant evolution of that content to maintain that attention, that attendance to what we are teaching. Nice to be back to topics that interest me. Cheers.
You're listening to Radio Revel. Radio Revel. 